Hey, 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 welcome back to Chew the Bible. It's your good friend, A.A. Ron. Hope everyone is having an amazing day. We're now in Genesis chapter 9. Read down the King James Version. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth. And upon all the fishes of the sea into your hand are they delivered. Hmm. So. Y'all remember, yeah, Adam had dominion over all the animals. Something about the fall. Now the animals weren't afraid of humans anymore. But now Noah spoke out loud saying, hey, now the animals are supposed to be afraid of you it took dominion back this is interesting all right but it's a limited dominion because there's still sin in the world that's how i interpret that once again y'all go read your own commentaries <laughs> go look this stuff up on your own all right this is me processing out loud uh verse three every morning or sorry every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you even as the green herb have i given you all things now also before animals weren't killed they were eating plant they were vegetarians before that as far as i know eating fruit i don't even know if they were eating vegetables if you think about a vegetable is this a leaf i don't even think humans were supposed to eat vegetables i think we were only supposed to eat fruit all day and there's no diabetes. You have to worry about your sugar levels. None of that. This is my personal, once again, me reading and interpreting on my own. I personally don't think we we're even supposed Like, yeah, because who, like, who likes vegetables? How, whenever you ever met somebody like loved vegetables, even if they do say they love vegetables, I'm like, how much do you really? I mean, a salad is pretty good, but, but you got to doctor it up and add all kind of stuff to it. Add some an avocado. Isn't an avocado a fruit technically? Oh, let's look that up. Avocados are delicious. Mushrooms are pretty good. But that's a mushroom is not a vegetable. It's a fungus. Is avocado a fruit? I remember doing this lesson with the kids. A fruit has a seed. A plant or an vegetable has leaves. So, yeah, avocado will be a fruit. Yep, because it has a big old seed in the middle. Yep, avocado is one of the few fruits. Yes, technically they're a fruit, not a veggie. Yep, yep, yep. Because it has a big old seed, big old stone in the middle. Interessante. All right, so every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. Notice it says every living thing shall be meat for you. There's no distinguishing between like you can't eat pigs or you can't eat. Yeah, in Leviticus later on, they're going to start saying you can't eat this or eat that because it has a split hoof. You can't eat that bird. It's unclean. Yeah, none of that. There's no, yeah. 
distinctions here. Yep. Every, yeah, verse three, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. But flesh with the life thereof. With the life thereof, which is the blood thereof. What? That is not, I don't get what he's saying there. Is he talking about the the blood marrow? Like, I'm just keep reading. And surely your blood of your lives will require at the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, and the hand of every man's brother will require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man, and ye and you be fruitful, and be ye fruitful, and multiply, and bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. I don't know what he's saying there. I do know verse 6, he's basically saying a life for a life. Like if somebody dies and they had to be killed. Life for a life. It's the institution of the death penalty right there. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. I gotta look that up. What does Genesis 9 4 mean? What? Does Genesis? I'm sure I could switch to another translation and figure it out, but sometimes I put it in plainer language. Ah, oh, you're not supposed to eat food with blood in it, you're supposed to clean it. This law grants a unique interpretation to the expiate the expiating sacrifices into blood's role not to cleanse the sanctuary but to serve as a ransom according to this text the prohibition on eating blood stems from the unique function god assigns to blood to be sacrificed to god as ransom for israelite lives BibleRef.com. Let's see what they say. It's probably... Here, it goes even better. I don't know what site that was. I just read from... I can't even pronounce... But I just read from some site called Haaretz.com. H-A-A-R-E-T-Z. Let's go to this. BibleRef.com. I need to add this to my list of places to reference. It says, what does Genesis 9 for mean? These first few verses of Genesis 9 include God's blessing and commands to Noah and his sons. These instructions are also meant for the generations that will follow from them. In the previous verse, God made clear that humanity was free to eat any kind of creature that moved. This would include birds, fish, beasts, and creeping things, whether or not mankind was specifically allowed to eat animals prior to flood. They are given specific permission now to do just that. However, while God does allow man the ability to eat animal flesh, he includes a restriction. Humans are not to eat the blood of these animals along with their flesh. The verse describes the blood as the animal's life. Later, under the law of Moses, Israelites will be required to very carefully drain the blood from animals before consuming them. 
This deep respect for blood is the first step in a long process establishing the symbolism of Christ's sacrifice for human sin on the cross. Aha! Let's see, if you just gloss over this, you'll miss these very important details. Like it, love it. Here we go. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. All right. We're talking about the Bible, not whatever he was talking about. All right, the rainbow. And God spake unto, now I got to speak in a country accent for at least a little bit, the rainbow. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. And with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth, and I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you, for pet perpetual generations. I, verse 13. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall be no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Now my question is, why did God make it a bow? Like, or why did, yeah, why is it like bent like that? A rainbow. You haven't seen a real rainbow until you go to Hawaii. Oh, man, I haven't been to Hawaii, but my stepdad and my mom live down there. And they've sent me some pictures of some rainbows. I'm like, wow, that is, yeah, the rainbows we get here and don't come close. Something about the skies there, I guess, lack of pollution. And when it does rain, I don't know, somebody, it's, it's paradise down there. <laughs> That's the best way to say it, it's paradise. It's the closest thing you might get to seeing heaven on earth. Is Hawaii places like Hawaii or any of these other little beautiful beaches? But oh man, all right, but yeah, um, sometimes I wonder, like, why would God? Make it a rainbow. Almost like if you see like a real rainbow, like the ones I've seen down in in um yeah, in the pictures my stepdad has sent me, they like almost look like a big old arch. Like yeah, it's like a big old long arch archway, like an opening and it's like it like a portal into heaven. Like you something you could cross over into. You know, and it goes, no one knows where a rainbow ends except supposedly 
dude from Lucky Charm Box. What's that dude? Does he have a name, the dude from Lucky Charms? Pots of gold, rainbows, oranges, and balloons. <laughs> or whatever that dude is saying. What is he saying? I don't think he's saying oranges and balloons. I'm totally just making up. I'm bad with words. Anyway, I'm going down a whole tangent town again. But yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. They extend forever. No one knows exactly where Rainbow ends. Except that, yeah, a little leprechaun from <laughs> the Lucky Charms box. Even he don't know. He pretends he knows. He don't know. He thinks the pot of gold. Yeah, they said the pot of gold is on the other end. That would be hilarious when we get to heaven. It would be a little pot of gold waiting at the end of the rainbow. Yeah. Well, be, I assume there will be rainbows in heaven. And they ain't going to be the... The pride, yeah, the the false pride rainbows, um, that are down here on Earth, little flags and say, yeah, it's gonna be a genuine rainbow. Anyway, all right, verse eighteen, and the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. All right, it's about to get real juicy. So, Noah, this is wild. This is what's crazy about this whole story. Noah is like so overwhelmed by everything that has happened. I can just imagine, yeah, he just like, what in the world has happened? The whole world is flooded. All these people are dead. It's just me and my family. <laughs> Been on this boat for 40 days, 40 nights. And now, yeah, we're starting over. And Noah's like, I need a drink. <laughs> well, he don't just like take a few sips. He gets drunk and gets naked. And his sons find, well, one of his sons finds him. And exposes his father to his brothers. Which is embarrassing. Some people believe, I've read different commentaries, some people believe like he made a mockery of it. Like he was joking about like, hey, just think about it. Like when you kids, this is how I picture it going down. Yeah, this is my head. Uh, this is just the Aaron Yancey interpretation. No kid is just like, hey, hey, uh, brothers, um, we need to help dad. Like, help. Let's go. Yeah, he's drunk. They're like, <laughs> look, at, look at Pops. Look at him over there. He, he knocked out drunk. <laughs> he naked. He, look at him. Look at him. And instead of, yeah, that's how I imagine that one brother was. His name is Ham. You know how people say, oh, you're such a ham. I don't know. Kind of out there. All right, so. Yeah, he goes and tells his brothers, and they're nice enough to cover him up out of respect for their father. 
And here we go. All because this is one of the wildest stories in the Bible right here. And they even walked backwards and they did not see the nakedness of their father. What is it about seeing the nakedness of your father? I don't know. I could go read some commentaries on this right now, but I'm, just, I'm not really going to go there. I encourage you all to read on my own the significance of what, what it was about them seeing their father's nakedness. Was was it more about the fact that they have respect and honor for their dad or more about, I don't know, literally seeing their father's nakedness was like sinful? Because this was wild just a few generations ago with Adam and Eve nakedness. They were naked and they were not ashamed. But somehow shame was tied to nakedness now. That's why, yeah, these communities... They have these nudist communities, and it's just total, like, but it's, yeah, anyway, I'm not going to talk about that. They think it's weird. There's these, yeah, these, there's further, yeah, there's these nudist communities in places of the world, but, like, I've heard them, they're in, like, some of them are in Hawaii, and um, I don't know what they all believe and why they do it, but it's it's tied to, like, I guess living like unashamed and not being all covered up in clothes and letting go of the shame tied to your body and all that. But I'm sorry. Um, if I'm down, yeah, without the power of the Holy Spirit <laughs> and I'm in a nudist colony, um, lust will abound. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know how lust does not abound. They, they talk about how they don't do all that, but. Anyway, I don't know why I'm going down that conversation, but yeah. Nakedness, shame. There was shame tied to nakedness. Verse 24. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. So Noah sinned by getting drunk with wine. We're not supposed to be drunk with wine, but be drunk with the spirit. There's some scriptures later. I'll talk about that. Um, so Noah sins by being drunk of wine. Ham sins by exposing his father's nakedness and, and, and putting him to shame. All right, let's go. Verse 25. And he said, and this is right after God destroyed the entire world and was trying to start over and here we are, this that quickly, sin is reintroduced into the world through Noah and Ham. The world has fallen. The world has already fallen, but it just shows you that as righteous as Noah was, and even though God tried to start the entire world over with like this righteous family, they still screwed up they still needed a savior they still needed jesus christ for the remissions of sin to to avoid sin to live a perfect sinless life verse 25 this whole story is about jesus this whole story from started the whole bible from start to finish is about jesus and he said curse be canaan a servant of servants shall be he unto his brethren and he said, blessed be the Lord. All right, so Canaan. 
Canaan, I believe, is the child of the family of Ham. Ham. Verse 26. Y'all can go fact check that when you get a second. Verse 26, and he said, blessed, I'm just inferring from what we just read, so. The family of Ham. I don't know why he didn't say Ham. Like, why didn't he specifically say Ham be cursed? He just says, cursed be Canaan. Let's see here. Let's go look it up. Was Canaan the son of Ham? Yep, he was a son of Ham, Noah's grandson. That's where the Canaanites come from. Interesting that Noah didn't curse Ham specifically, but he, he said he cursed his grandson. Why did he just curse his son specifically? Why would he curse his grandson? That's a good question. And this specific grandson. All right. That's a good question. Observation. All right. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood. 350 years and all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. So, yeah, he blessed, blessed be the Lord God of Shem and Canaan. And in Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. And Canaan shall be his servant. So Canaan was forced to serve both his brothers. The families of both his brothers. Yeah. So Ham's grandsons have to serve their uncles. Wow. And so, yeah, y'all can go read some commentaries on this. This is where... Another scripture that was taken out of context because uh, there's this whole belief that all the descendants of Ham or Canaan were black people. And that's why black people are cursed or people with darker skin are cursed. And that's why we're. Yeah, it's interesting. That's where they people get the justification for why for slavery. This is one of the scriptures that is apparently used to justify slavery. All the descendants of Ham are, yeah, they believe were African black folks, and that's why their slaves became slaves. And all the descendants of Shem and Japheth were white. Anyway, there's all these crazy thoughts and beliefs and swirled around this scripture. And this scripture's been used, yeah, to justify slavery as wild. Well. Y'all go read your own commentaries on that once again. I'm not about to go that deep because then we'll be on here for another 30 minutes. All right. So in Noah, or at least 10. Verse 28. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years and all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. Now, Will, I'm curious because I love numbers. Why 
what is the significance of 950? 950. Bible study. Oh, we could break it down. All right. So, the meaning of the numbers, the number 900. I'm just going to read part of this, not the whole thing. The possible meaning of the number 900 is derived from, this is from, uh, what, BibleStudy.org. The mean, possible meaning of the number 900 is derived from biblical history and the Hebrew calendar. Five out of the first six men in Jesus' lineage lived to be more than 900 years old. There were Adam, Seth, Enos, Canaan, and Jared. Mahalalel, the firstborn son of Canaan, almost made it into the 900 club by living to the age of 895. The only other ancestors of Jesus that lived more than 900 years were Methuselah and Noah. All right, the appearance of 900. Appearances of 900. The children of Israel, after they entered the promised land, frequently indulged in evil such as idolatry. God, God, when they sinned, would then allow some of their enemies to dominate them and make their life miserable so that they would repent and turn to him. From 1212 to 1192 BC, the sins of the people caused them to be harshly treated by King Jabin, of Canaan, their 20-year-long suffering under the king who had military superiority over them with his 900 chariots mm. finally led to the people crying out to the Lord. And the children of Israel cried to the Lord, for he, Jabin, had 900 chariots of iron, and he mightily oppressed the children of Israel 20 years. Mm. See, y'all can see Judges 4-3. The Israelites were ultimately freed of their enemy by the godly inspired judges Deborah and Barak. Deborah happened to be a very powerful woman of God. Y'all go look that up. The letter Samphi was used by the ancient Greeks to represent 900. At the Hebrew letter Tsade, however you say that, the 18th letter of its alphabet appeared at the end of a word. It was changed to the letter final Tsade. This letter was also used to represent this number. The city of Corinth was visited by the Apostle Paul during his second and third missionary journeys. Two, two of his letters to the church in Corinth are in the New Testament with at least one other wrote but not included in God's word. The history of Corinth, a wealthy first century city located about 48 miles west of Athens, goes back at least 900 B.C. I think I'll stop there because now I'm starting to get into some like really some really uh like Bible calculus stuff. So nothing like super duper significant with the number 900. Other than that situation with the 900 chariots.
900 could represent judgment. Hmm. And then the number 50, we've looked at that before. No, I don't want your ad. The number, the meaning of the number 50, 50 derives its meaning from its relationship to the coming of God's Holy Spirit. Yeah, all right, yeah. Pentecost. Interesting. So if you took 900 and equated it to like judgment, and then 50 and Pentecost, it's like judgment and the Holy Spirit. Judgment and the Holy Spirit. This is the Aaron Yancey interpretation. Quick interpretation. Y'all go infer from, I just broke the number 900 down and then 50 down. I was like, hmm, why did Noah live on 950 years? But these are all just my own inferences. Sometimes it makes it more fun to read the Bible and just kind of like, I'm not, I never would go out and start saying like, this is exactly what, why Noah, you know, the significance of why Noah meant live 950 years. Sometimes I just like to like sit and philosophize about the Bible and speculate possibly why. Um, there's certain things that are just like straightforward, you know, clear cut. This is what the Bible means. This is why, you know, and the, the important things, the meat, you know, following the Ten Commandments, following the two greatest commandments, loving the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor yourself, bearing fruit. Having the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, long suffering, self like that kind of stuff is most important. This kind of stuff, why Noah lived 950 years is not as important, but for me, it's fun. It makes the Bible more interesting. So, some people they'll get really into this stuff and they'll create a whole religion like <laughs> called the 950 Club. <laughs> like, I'm just, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a whole group out there called the 950 Club. They'll come up with some kooky stuff, man. Anyway, Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you, Lord, for the rainbow. Such a beautiful, 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 beautiful. Just, it's just a, be it's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful sight in nature. And it's just also a great reminder of your covenant you made with us that you would never flood the earth. There's floods here, but you and I never will flood the entire earth. Because yeah, here in Missouri, we still get floods, like the flood of 1993. But you never will flood the entire earth again. And something about you flooding the earth, like of all the ways you chose to destroy the earth, and start over, not destroy it, but destroy the people on earth. And start over is like, yeah, it's like you baptize everybody. And you cleansed the earth. And um, of all unrighteousness and just that quick, Lord, sin was reintroduced. And Noah's nakedness being uncovered and the shame. Yeah, him drinking, being drunk. Lord, Heavenly Father, help us to be on guard because it's so we can all fall so quickly we can all um slip like just slip into sin that quick lord like the scripture says take heed lest ye fall and um yeah help us to learn from the life of noah help us to know that yeah our sins impact our grandchildren our children's and our grandchildren lord and help us to not yeah they have an impact on everyone so help us to not take our sins lightly 
and just thank you, Lord, for Jesus. This is just this whole story as I read this, sisters, a reminder that you, we need our need for Jesus, that you are the only sinless man. And just earlier, we talked about the animal sacrifice. Yeah, the animals and the being able to eat from the animal, but it had to be free of blood, clean of blood, the power of the blood, because that's the source of life. And it's the blood of, it's just a foreshadowing to the blood of Jesus, Lord. And yeah, all the animal sacrifices that they had to do, and then just the ultimate sacrifice that you did on the cross by shedding your blood on the cross, dying on the cross for us. We see so many things just in this, we've seen it a lot just in nine chapters of the book of Genesis of your will toward men and your plan of redemption and the hope of your return someday. Only you know the day of the hour and the hour of that. So I just thank you, Lord, for this word. Continue to empower us to do your will. Order our steps. Help us to walk in your ways. And help us to never forget the days of Noah. Because we're living in them right now, it seems like. In Jesus' mighty precious name I pray. Amen. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned or missed the mark or veered off the path and fallen short of the glory of God or God's perfect standard. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of the cost of that sin is death or eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5a says, But God demonstrated his love toward us or showed his love toward us in that while we were still yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Romans 10 verse 9 through 10 says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will, not might be, not maybe, we will be saved. For with our hearts we believe we are now in right standing with God and with our mouths we confess that we are now saved. Lastly, Romans 10 verse 13 says that whosoever, anybody or everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So if you've never asked Jesus into your heart or you've walked away from him and you would like to rededicate your life to him, you can just simply say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves to be punished. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for me and rose from the grave. I want to turn from my sin and trust Jesus Christ alone as my Savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and everlasting life I can now have through faith in Jesus. In Jesus' mighty precious name I pray. Amen.